This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've chosen to spend this time with us. Almost exactly six years ago, on May 2nd, 2015, my next guest turned in a report to then-President Barack Obama, which outlined a number of suggestions and ideas to transform policing in America. It was a crucial part of the work done by the president's task force on 21st century policing, and it placed transparency, public trust, and accountability at the center of that idea of public safety. Of course, so much has changed in our country and in our world since then. But as all of us are sorting through the twists and turns of the past year, one truth remains painfully clear. Police brutality is real. It has been real for decades, if not centuries, in this country, and it's disproportionately targeting communities of color, many of whom are already struggling to navigate all the other structural inequalities that have been laid bare over the past year. So what can we learn by looking back at this report from 2015? And how can it shape our nation moving forward at a time when the cultural and political will might actually exist to move the needle toward meaningful change. Here to talk with me about these ideas is Dr. Cedric Alexander. He has more than 40 years of public safety and 20 years of mental health practitioner experience, and he was on President Obama's task force for 21st century policing. And he's also the author of The New Guardians, Policing in America's Communities for the 21st Century. Dr. Alexander, Welcome to Detroit Today. And thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I'm very delighted to be here. Yes. So as I said in my introduction, you and the other members of President Obama's policing task force turned in a report almost exactly six years ago today. So before I ask you about what was in that report, I want to know if you feel like anything has changed in our policing and public safety since then, what uh, what from that report was incorporated into police reform uh, before this point? Well, what we attempted to do with that report at the request of then-President Obama was to come up with a uh, document, if you will, that would help build relationships between police and community. There are several things, I think, that certainly have uh, – made a difference in our society, such as body-worn cameras, quite frankly, were born out of that document mm. and became popularized following that report in many cities across this country. And a lot of the footage that we're seeing today that have been in great question uh, have been a result of that document in pushing police departments, encouraging departments across this country to acquire uh, that level of technology. And uh, building trust has been one thing that we have seen that have had some effect in some communities, but we're at a place today uh, following certainly, I think, some of the past rhetoric in the past administration that we have seen that has in many ways sort of set us back. Hmm. We got to find our way back forward again because there's a great deal of distrust uh, that is currently being experienced in this country across this country between police and communities. Uh, and without that trust, public safety becomes an issue 
for everyone. Uh, it becomes an issue for people who live in those communities. It becomes an issue for our officers who are out there trying to protect us and keep us safe. Uh, but we have a lot to be uh, uh, concerned about. Uh, progress has been made. Uh, we would like to think, uh, but yet and still, when we look at many of and read and look and see many of the events that are current going on today, more recently, even post the verdict of George Floyd, uh, it still brings about a great deal of concern for all of us in this country when it comes to policing. Yeah. So, so you talked a little there about trust and the trust that exists between police departments and the communities that they are are policing. Uh, it seems to me that that was kind of a central theme of the report that you guys issued in in 2015. This idea of building police and community relationships. Uh, you you just outlined the things that you think kind of went wrong, uh, especially in the last four years after this report mm-hmm. was, was issued. But I, but I wonder if you can talk specifically about uh, police and community relationships and what that looked like after the task force report. Did we do the work in some of the communities uh, across the country to enhance that relationship and, and, and build more of that trust? Well, we began to do some of the work. I think we brought a level of consciousness via that report uh, to this country, the importance of building those relationships. There were a number of departments across this country uh, who adhered to that report, who understood the importance of it, who looked at each one of the six pillars that were described in that report uh, and, 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 and figured out what was best for their department. But that administration ended, the Obama administration ended uh, a couple of years after that report uh, had been released. Uh, In fact, about a year and a half after that report had been released. Now, the following administration had an opportunity to hold that report up. But unfortunately, just like any uh, administration that comes in, they may have a different thought philosophy around policing in this country, and clearly the last administration did. You had a former uh, Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, who pretty much just uh, threw that report in the garbage can. They stood back on patterns and practice investigations uh, that were so essential to helping police departments better themselves. Uh, They pulled back from consent decrees, and their philosophy was everything police is currently doing is right. It's the community that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that does not help build relationships. Now, that was their philosophy. That's not mine. And I consider myself a conservative law enforcement official. Mm -hmm. That's not my philosophy. Because in order to have good public safety in this country, you have to have what we constantly refer to in that document as legitimacy. You are not if you are not viewed as being legitimate, meaning if you're not seen as being trustworthy, if you're not seen as being of value, if you're not seen as being honest and having the ability to listen to what I have to say as a a, a citizen. And if I don't feel that you can be fair, then you're not going to have any legitimacy with me. And that makes it very difficult 
for police officers to do their job when you have communities do that do not feel intimately connected with their police departments. And it goes beyond some coffee and cop monthly meeting. <laughs> it has to be a partnership that they're engaging constantly. You have citizens, you have elected officials, you have police executives and others sitting at a table looking at the journal orders, looking at policies, reviewing ideas, and taking a look even at events that have occurred, whether they were uh, legal or not, but looking at them to an attempt to determine what it is that we can do even better going forward. But it's just, just not operating in a silo as a police department any longer, because what are we hearing from communities in, in, in many communities across this country, people are asking for openness. They're asking for transparency, and they're asking for accountability. Mm. And nothing is going to change in this environment that we're in currently until those things begin to happen. That document, the 21st Century Task Force Report, is not the end-all to be-all. But what it is is a jumping-off place. It is a start. It gives you an idea of where you can go if you don't know where to go, because that document just wasn't written by me and 10 other people. It was written by people across this country. We travel across this country just six years ago, which really wasn't that long ago, but just six years ago, we got information listening sessions that we've done from people in the human rights community, civil rights community, the unions, police chiefs, academicians, you name them, everybody had a voice in that report. And when you read that report, which is still up online, 21st Century Task Force Report, final edition, mm. if you look through it, glance through it, read it, everything in there is still very pertinent pertinent and still very relevant to today, and it provides a guidance, a GPS, if you will, to take you in a direction to help build those relationships on top of whatever else uh, that you and your local community may uh, uh, be of some benefit to yeah. you and your local community. Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Cedric Alexander. Uh, he has more than 40 years of public safety <laughs> and 20 years of mental health practitioner experience. He was a member of President Obama's Task Force on 21st Century Police for, uh, Policing. Uh, he's also a past national president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. He's also the author of The New Guardians, Policing in America's Communities for the 21st Century. We're talking about uh, that task force report in 2015 that was issued by President Obama's task force on 21st century policing, what was in it, what was done as a result of that report, the things that were implemented uh, in police reform as a result of that report, but also the things that weren't done and some things that got rolled back, especially during the last four years uh, of the Trump administration uh, in terms of addressing these huge gaps in trust between police departments and the communities that they are policing. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation. Uh, give us a call and let us know what is the biggest change you think needs to happen when it comes to policing and law enforcement. 
locally or nationally. Uh, give us an idea of the things that uh, you're looking at that you think uh, are inappropriate uh, and that uh, police reform ought to be targeting. Uh, also give us a call and give us a sense of your faith in the process of police reform. This is one of the issues that I'm starting to hear an awful lot about, people saying, I don't think the police will reform themselves. I don't think we can force reform on them. And uh, therefore, I think we've got to reconstitute the whole idea of policing in this country. Are you in that camp? Uh, or are you somebody who is really lining up behind the idea of policing as it's configured now? And uh, maybe you believe that uh, the crime that we have uh, mandates the kind of policing that we have in this country. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work them into the conversation. Dr. Alexander, before we get to listener comments, uh, I, I want to talk about the calls to defund the police, uh, and I'm always careful when I use that word. That's the the phrase uh, that uh, many activists have adopted. I think it doesn't quite accurately describe uh, what they're talking about. I think it's a far more nuanced proposal that they're that they're putting out there. Um, but I wonder what you make uh, of that. Somebody who's spent a long time in law enforcement. Uh, but also is really aware of of the shortcomings and and again that gap between uh, police departments and the and the people they police the gap of trust especially uh, among African Americans I mean uh, there's no question that it is a far more fractured relationship uh, at this point uh, if not outright broken uh, between black communities uh, and and police officers. So so I I wonder if you can start just by telling us what your reaction is to that phrase, defund the police. Uh, what do you think? Well, of first that? of all, yeah, yeah. First of all, defund the police uh, became popularized last summer following the death of George Floyd. Uh, it has become politicized. Uh, it has become uh, used in the. Uh, um, political campaigns across this country uh, that uh, people have used against each other. Uh, and far as I'm concerned, it is a term right now that is of, of very little value to me. I don't think and I do not believe that police departments should be defunded. What police department needs to be is reimagined and reorganized in a way that's going to best benefit that community. You asked, you, you made a statement a moment ago to your audience. Do police departments have the ability to change themselves or reform themselves? The answer to that question is no, hmm. they do not. That will require police experts. That will require elected officials. That will require people who live and receive the services of police in those communities. That's going to define 21st century policing, because it cannot be left totally up to me as a chief and my command staff and our limitations that we may have, strengths that we have, but also limitations that we have as to what's best for you and the community in which you live. People who live in communities across our country need to have a voice. People who 
living communities across our country need to understand from all the nuts and bolts what it is that their police department do and how they do it and why they do the things that they do. Public don't want to be experts to what I'm doing. They just want to have a voice and an understanding and an insight into what I'm doing and why I do the things I do. Because people who can help us, quite frankly, to reduce crime and create an environment, a safe environment from everyone, mm-hmm. is the community. Police cannot do it by themselves. We're going to have to define exactly what it is we want police to do in the 21st century because we cannot assign each and every social ill and dysfunction to them. It's not fair to them. They don't have the ability to do it. They don't have the training, and that should not be their mission. Their mission needs to be to prevent crime, not just respond to crime, but to prevent crime. But we need to understand, each community need to better understand what is needed in our communities for our communities to be safe. Mm. And that means you have to have a host of people at the table having input into what it's going to take to make their communities safe. And not only is police held accountable, but communities have to be held accountable to do their part as well. And here's the other piece. When it comes to public safety, we need to redefine by what do we mean by public safety. Mm. Because it's not just dismantling police. It's not just reforming police or reimagining police. But we need to understand what is public safety because public safety, quite frankly, is just not law enforcement. Public safety, a community is not safe if you have lead in your homes and in your schools. Mm. It's not safe if people don't have a safe place to live. It's not safe if people don't have good education in their communities. It's not safe if people don't have opportunities for jobs. It's not safe if you have a community that's overwhelmed with mental illness and with homelessness and all these other social ills. Those are public safety issues as well. But we have asked police to fix all of them without the adequate training to do it, but just respond. And then when they intersect in some of these places that creates an environment of further dismemberment of misunderstanding and distrust, it's beyond the scope of police. So community leadership, your elected officials in your community, people who serve as community leaders, they have a shared responsibility mm. along with police because we have to have public safety that involves not just law enforcement. These other elements are also public safety issues that have to be addressed, and it goes beyond the scope of what I'm trained to do as a police officer. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, We are going to continue this conversation with Dr. Cedric Alexander about policing, what has changed, what needs to change, what has not changed. And we want to continue to hear from you. 
Barbara and Royal Oak, John and Jefferson Chalmers, Mike and Bloomfield. We'll hear what is on your minds next. We'll also get to some social media comments that we have on the subject. And if you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and my guest is Dr. Cedric Alexander a member of former President Obama's task force on 21st century policing. We're talking about the recommendations that were in that task force report in 2015, the things that have been done or not done in the six years since, and what we should be thinking about now as we talk about police reform in a really serious way uh, in this country. As always, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, and we'll try to include you that way. Let's start with Barbara in Royal Oak. Barbara, welcome to the show. Hello, yes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the fact that there are many ways to handle aggression and that police are trained in a very narrow scope of defensiveness. I think that if they review the movie Miracle Worker, they will see someone who is in a battle for her life and she's fighting with this child who's blind and deaf and never hurts the child. She survives it. She calms the child down. But it takes a half an hour of wrestling. The system that she was using, she had learned in college at the time, and it is called the MAND system, M-A-N-D-T. I had to learn this system when I took a job to take care of the elderly Mm. in group homes in New Mexico, and um, I had to learn, what do you do if you find yourself being dragged down the hall by the hair and you want to get away from the child or the adult without hurting them? And I had to learn how to wrestle with them without hurting them. It's okay if I get hurt because I'm the one in charge, but I had to learn how to get control of the situation without hurting them. So I went into those situations with a lot of confidence. Our police aren't trained with it. They don't even know what it is. Another thing, I was a Sikh for many years. Mm. The Sikhs teach their children uh, when they're five years old, they take out a gun and show them a gun. And they say, this is for killing people. We only touch this when we are ready to kill someone. And they have a great respect for guns in their homes. They always keep them Mm. in five, six, or seven parts. They do not keep them assembled. They do not keep the ammunition out in the open or anywhere. It's locked up in a box, hidden, and the key is mm. with the father only, and you will never hear of an accident. Yeah. Barbara, uh, Barbara, I really appreciate uh, the call and all that, all that insight. Uh, uh, Dr. Alexander, I want to I go back to the beginning of her comments, which, which I think get to this question of what police are supposed to do. Uh, I think it's a great example that she raised uh, about 
people who are trained to deal with violent situations by de-escalating them, not by responding in a violent way and maybe making things worse, but by taking sort of the energy, the violent energy out of the situation. Why aren't police trained to do that in this country? Well, historically, that just has not been the training. And here again, when you talk about reform and reimagining and redefining public safety, these are the questions that are going to have to be asked now. Now, police officers are trained. They do go through de-escalation training. There, there are many departments across the country are having that training. But it goes beyond just that training. It is one thing to go into a classroom for a few hours. You take the training. You check the box. There has to be a way now to evaluate that that training that you received is being utilized, is being employed out on the streets doing your calls for service. And that means that you have to have supervisors present Mm -hmm. who can watch you and observe you take on a domestic violence case, let's say, for an example. They have an opportunity to be there with you, not just as a backup, but also to make observations to what it is that you did well and what it is that you could do better. You take the video footage from that particular call for service. You come back, you take a look at it, you point out strengths, you point out challenges, and you reinforce the things to officers that they did well. But we got to have a way to measure everything that we train. It has to be woven into the fabric of that organization so that we try to assess it as best we can. And other than that, if we don't do that, then you, I'm just going to go to a class, I'm going to check a box, mm. and then I'm going to go on my way. Yeah. But yeah. what the American people and what this uh, caller is saying and what many other people are saying, are there other ways in which officers can de-escalate? Yes, there is. But we don't want officers hurt. They have a right to protect themselves as well. Yeah. But we want a situation where we can train them And we also can ask certain expectations from our communities to be supporters, to help us work through, to help us design and think about what are other strategies that we can imagine doing. See, there's no limitations today as to how we can redefine public safety. Everything is up for grabs. We can look at everything we've ever done with support from police and community and elected officials, et cetera. Yeah. I, I want to read a... to have the willingness to look, to look at ourselves and be part of that. Right. Yes. I, I want to read a couple of social media comments. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says the two biggest changes that need to happen in policing are the removal of immunity that police have. The badge shouldn't be a license to do what you want. Also, pay officers $100,000. To start, they'll have something to lose with those two changes. Uh, Another listener on Twitter asks, if every police officer on the force were to go through the thought experiment of asking, which side are you on? And the majority of their answers wound up being the side that's opposed to the community. What would we do then? Because that's where we're at already, in my honest opinion. I want to get you to respond uh, to that uh, to that question, do you believe, Dr. Alexander, that most police officers are serving the communities that they are policing in, or do they see themselves 
more as uh, an occupying force of, of sorts of, of keeping control of the communities where they serve? Well, 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 it's not how police see themselves. It's how the community see the police. That's the bigger issue, mm-hmm. regardless of how police see themselves. If you're my police department, I'm paying taxes. I'm 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 I have a responsibility to myself as a citizen, but you have a responsibility to help keep my community safe. The question becomes, how do the citizens see their police department? If they see my police department as some type of of of, of organization in which they are working against the community, that is problematic. Hmm. And the leadership in that community. The elected officials in that community are going to have to change that perception because clearly if you have any segments of your community who feel that the police department is not on their team, then you don't have good public safety. In fact, you don't have public safety at all because in order to have good public safety, you have to have a trusting relationship between the police and the community. But if the police, if the community is seeing the police as something else, as an occupying force, then you're going to have problems. You're going to have mistrust and you're going to have a lack of legitimacy, which is going to make it very difficult for police officers to do their job, which puts everybody at risk. Put officers at risk and put communities at risk because of all this, this noise that is in between are unstated words that are in between of feelings that go unresolved. Yeah. Okay. So we have to, that has to be addressed by the community, however they perceive or see their police department. Right, right. Okay, Dr. Cedric Alexander, it was really great to have you with us for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Be safe. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. We're going to have a conversation with Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence about the Congressional Black Caucus Mass Vaccination Week push. Of course, she is joining the chorus of all kinds of people, office holders, authorities, and regular citizens who say, get the shot, get the shot, get the shot. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.